Welcome to Saving Grace Church, located in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Our mission at Saving Grace Church is to love God, love others, and reach the world for Christ. We hope that this message brings you closer to God and helps strengthen your walk with Christ. Testing, 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 testing. There we go. If you can make your way uh, back into the main room, we're going to get started. Uh, please make your way back in. Microphones work better with batteries, we're learning. So, um, welcome back in. Just two quick announcements before we look at today's message. Uh, just a reminder for Youth Camp and 1DC, the deadline's coming up. So make sure you sign up for both Youth Camp and 1DC. 1DC is for kids ages 10 through 12. And Youth Camp is for high schoolers age 13 through 18. Um, the deadlines for both are coming up. Please sign up. Let's pray, and uh, then we'll jump into God's Word. Father, thank you for your Word. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are a speaking God. Thank you that you open our eyes to your Word. Lord, we pray, I pray this morning, that you would speak to your people. You would encourage them in their identity. That they would not believe the lies of our culture, or the lies of their flesh, or the lies of Satan himself when he accuses and, and says false things about them. Lord, may we be strengthened in our identity during this series, and may we be more joyful because of it. And we ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I lost the microphone. Isaac, is there? Here we go. I'm about to switch. All right. Now we're in business. Testing. We good? All right. We run a smooth operation here. Uh, this is uh, the first message in a series called Who Are We? As Jason said during worship, we, uh, since January we were going through the book of Mark answering the question, who is he? Who is Jesus? And in light of all that we've talked about and thought about, we want to spend about six-ish weeks answering the question, who are we? In light of who Jesus is and what he's done for us, who are we? And for at least the first two messages today and next week, we're going to be thinking about that in the corporate sense of who are we. Not just who are you as an individual Christian, but who are you, plural, as being part of the body of Christ? Who are you because you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Think about this way. Whatever your last name is, if it's Rummel or mine is Ryer, or if it's Bassler or Smith or Brown or Santini or Jones or Altrogi, often with that family name come certain characteristics about your family. Now, there are differences. There are, there are unique distinctions. But there is often, this would be true of the Ryer family, there are common characteristics and traits that are common to all the Ryer family members. By nature of being born into my family. We are naturally quick-witted, have smart-aleck responses, and uh, like humor a lot, particularly when we're in trouble situations. So we, we smile under pressure. 
rather than get angry. So it, it's, uh, it's not always a good thing. It might sound like a better thing, but it's not. It's just a characteristic. It comes with the Ryer family. All of us do it. My aunts and uncles do it. I've inherited it. Um, but it's, it's part of being in the family. Well, there are a number of things in the Bible, particularly in the New Testament, that speak to our identity as Christians, particularly in a corporate sense. What does it mean to be Christian? And when I'm thinking about this subject, and we're going to be talking about this subject, not just thinking Saving Grace Church, I'm thinking Christians throughout Western Pennsylvania, Christians throughout the United States, Christians throughout the world. What does it mean to have placed your faith in Jesus Christ and have this new identity? And this morning to answer that question, who are we, we're going to look at a few verses in 2 Peter that are going to get at certain aspects of this identity. So if you have a Bible, look at 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're just going to be looking at verses 9 through 12. If you're not familiar with 1 Peter, it was written by the Apostle Peter to encourage Christians who were suffering, some were being persecuted, They were walking through intense struggles at times, and his main aim was that they would grow in their trust and obedience to Jesus Christ. And part of doing that was knowing who they were in Christ. And so he's about to say some really powerful things in 1 Peter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race. But you, if you are a Christian... You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possessions, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which, war, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds And glorify God on the day of visitation. Who are we? Who are we as God's people, as Christians? We're going to walk through the verses 9 and 10 because there are some incredible things, verses 9 and 10. And these things, I won't keep qualifying, but these are only for those who have put their trust in Jesus Christ. So what I'm about to say, what we're about to see in verses 9 and 10, are true realities for those of you who have turned to Jesus Christ and put your faith in Him. And if you have done this, these incredible truths are your reality. These incredible truths are the reality of every Christian in Indiana County, Armstrong County, Westmoreland County, every Christian in the United States, every Christian in North America, every Christian in the world. These things are universally true for 
anyone and everyone who has trusted in Christ. Jason Rummel, who led worship, who is one of our elder candidates, was at the community prayer event last Sunday afternoon, and he said one of the most incredible things that happened was just listening to Christians from all different churches in our area praying and praying the Bible with great faith. There were brothers and sisters from all over um, Indiana County that had the shared common connection of Jesus Christ. One of our growing desires as a church is that we would be much more aware of our unity we have with other Christians in our area. Scott Rising was here last week, and one of the things he said spontaneously that, that wasn't a prepared thought, he, he, he almost had a, a prophetic warning for Christians, not just our church, but for Christians in our country, that the climate is changing. The, maybe the Christian-friendly climate is, is changing and is getting harder and more difficult and maybe more anti-Christian, and he was encouraging us to be prepared and encouraging us that it's probably going to change more and more anti-Christian as the years go by. Well, when that happens, one, you don't have to be afraid of that. Jesus is powerful. And when the, most of the Bible was written, it was in very tumultuous times. And, and so Peter himself lived in a very tumultuous time for Christians. And we don't have to be afraid that we have Jesus. But when difficult times happen, we want to link arms with our brothers and sisters, particularly throughout this region. We have way more in common with Bible-believing Christians who trust in Jesus than we do differences. And so we want to celebrate that. We want to pursue that. Wayne Grudem says this about um, 1 Peter 9 and 10. With the very first phrase, you are a chosen race. He says, just as believers are a new spiritual race, a new spiritual priesthood, so they are a new spiritual nation which is based neither on ethnic identity or geographical boundaries, but rather on allegiance to their king, Jesus Christ, who is truly king of kings and lord of lords. See, when you became a Christian, you joined a new race. You joined God's chosen race. Look at verse 9. But you are a chosen race. See, when you trusted in Jesus, you became one of God's children, his son or his daughter, and you became part of a much bigger race than whatever ethnicity that you are. And you know both modern day in our culture and times and also throughout history the human race has often fought and done evil things to one another because of racial tensions, racial biases, prejudice. It happens to this day. But for God's people, we are part of something far bigger than whatever the color of our skin is. We are part of God's chosen people. Not because there's something special about us, but because there's something very special about the Lord's abundant grace. He loves to save, as the Bible says, men and women, boys and girls from every tribe, tongue, and nation. See, that's the nation, that's the race, that's the people 
we want to be most mindful of, which is the Lord's people. We are a chosen race. So that means we have a, just a unique unity with anybody who bears the name brother or sister. Anyone who is a believer in Jesus Christ. We have an instant bond and connection that will last forever. We are his people. We are a chosen race. We are a royal priesthood. And you may not think about this very often. I don't wake up in the morning and think, I'm part of the royal priesthood. You probably don't say that to yourself. You're part of the royal priesthood. But if you have trusted in Jesus, you are part of his royal priesthood. So here's the wild thing about Christianity. This was the most shocking thing to me when I first became a Christian. You can go from doing the most wicked things, from being the most, um, maybe lowest part of society, to calling on Jesus, being rescued by Jesus, and you, you're, you have the royal robe put on you, you're part of the kingdom, you're a joint heir with Christ, all because of what Jesus has done. You suddenly go from being an enemy of God and maybe even being despised from society to being part of God's royal priesthood. See, I think oftentimes we're so aware of our own sins and struggles and weaknesses and failures inside of ourselves that we forget or we don't think about or we don't believe these positive things the Bible says about God's people. So you're part of the king's court. You're part of the king's army. You're part of Jesus himself, his kingdom. You have been brought in to have an equal seat. As a priest, you might not think of yourself as a priest, but the Bible says you're part of God's royal priesthood. Here's some priestly duties. We're to reflect God's holiness, so we want to live in a way that, that speaks true things about God. We're to sacrifice primarily our lives for the Lord. We're to pray for others. So the beauty of Christianity is we have direct access to God. So we can approach the King of Kings, the creator of the world, the creator of all things. You can go to him right now and pray for anybody in this room if you're a believer in Jesus and you have his ear. He is attentive to your prayers. There's not a select group that's more spiritual or has more access in Christianity. The moment you trusted in Jesus, the door was open wide, and you can just like the Old Testament priest, but with far more access, approach God 24-7 anytime. Because the reason you approach him and can approach him, have access to him, is because he opened the way for you. And you are God's representative on this earth for him. See, we are his people. We are a chosen race. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are a holy nation. You might not think about Christians or the church this way. But we are part of God's holy kingdom and nation, which is the only nation that will last. Hope this doesn't surprise you, but there is not a nation in the world that will last 
will remain except for God's nation. The United States will not last. All the great nations of the past have not lasted. God's kingdom is a holy nation that is eternal. And your primary citizenship as a Christian is God's kingdom, not the nation you reside, not the nation you were born in. See, we are, we are part of something far, far greater than our country. I'm not anti our country. I'm very grateful for our country. But I think we can get so into whatever particular nation we were born into that as Christians we forget, no, our allegiance, our people are God's people. Our nation is God's nation. And we're going to look at that a little bit more in a moment. So we're a holy nation, and we are God's people. We're God's people. You are God's chosen people. Look at verse 10. Once you were not a people, this is true of every single one of us, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Once you and I, we were not born Christians. As my wife says to her kids all the time, just because you're in a car or in a garage doesn't make you a car. Just because you're born in a Christian family or go to a church doesn't make you a Christian. You're not born automatically trusting in Jesus. You're born with a sinful nature. You have a natural disposition to rebel against the Lord. And at some point, you were not in God's family and you became a part of God's family. At some point, you were rejecting Jesus Christ and then you trusted in Jesus Christ. At some point, you were an object of his wrath, of his judgment. You were guilty before him. And then he showed you mercy. This should amaze you. See, another way to look at this is this whole room is filled with men and women, boys and girls, teenagers, who are walking, talking miracles. That you have experienced, if you are a Christian, the most incredible miracle that is humanly possible to experience. That is your permanent position now in Christ. A recipient of mercy. Deserved judgment, received mercy. That should give you a lot of joy. No matter what you're looking at in your own life right now, think of it this way. You have received mercy. One of my favorite stories, fictional stories, is the story, I'm just going to do the abbreviation because I don't speak French, is Les Mis. So the, the musical, the book, um, if you're familiar with the story, it's, it's about a man named Jean Valjean who um, stole a little bit of money, ended up in jail, ended up escaping from jail, and a priest had mercy on him. And he, he eventually becomes a mayor of the city, and a, a very successful businessman. And because he had received mercy, he was a very merciful and benevolent mayor and boss and, and was a very kind man. Because, all because, he had received incredible, undeserved mercy. That is your story and my story 
if we are in Christ. And so, if that is your story, mercy should ooze out of us. Kindness should ooze out of us. Love towards others should ooze out of us because God has shown us mercy. If you're not yet a Christian, what you need to do is ask for mercy. God, have mercy on me. Lord, save me from my sins. Lord, please don't treat me as my sins deserve. And he will answer that prayer. He will respond to your cries for mercy. But it's always on his terms. And here's Jesus' terms. John 14. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So coming to God on Jesus' terms is to go through him. To believe that he lived and died for you. Fully man, fully God, and he rose from the grave. Don't let another day go by where you don't transfer from becoming an object of his judgment to an object of his mercy. We are his people. The next point is we are his witnesses. We are his witnesses. The moment you became a Christian, whether you knew it or not, whether you wanted it or not, you became a spokesman for the nation. The holy nation. God's people. Look at verse 9 and 10 again. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Now listen to this part. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness to his marvelous light. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. If you've received mercy, like Jean Jean Valjean in Les Mis, he could only, his natural response was to, to show mercy. If you have experienced the gift of salvation, you have the Holy Spirit living in you, your life is being transformed from the inside out, it should be so natural for us to speak of the excellencies of Christ. You got a little taste of that when, when Kay and Janet and Lexi were up here. They are more aware of God's mercy and love and faithfulness than the harsh reality of living in a fallen world. It comes out of them. They naturally speak of Christ's excellency. Think about it this way. If, you, if you're a poker player, or, and I'm not encouraging gambling or, or poker playing, but just for illustration's sake, here's the reality. God has placed all of his chips, all of his poker chips, his big old pile, He's placed them all on the church for the hope of the world. He's placed them all on you for the hope of the world. God's people are the hope of the world. That's the way God designed it. Jesus said it was better that I go to heaven because the Holy Spirit's going to come down. He's going to fill and empower God's people. So think of it this way. And those of you who have been Christians for a long time, You might be disillusioned with churches and church life and the mess of it all. Um, But here's the reality. We are God's plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D, plan E. We're his plan. God's plan is to work through his people. As messy as we are, as broken as we are, as confused as we are, we are God's 
plan. You are God's plan to be a witness of Him. You're God's plan. When He saved you, you were part of His plan. So when you live your lives, when you pray for others, when you talk about Him, you are His witnesses. You're His plan. We are His plan. Local churches are His plan. The church universal is His plan. Um, I, I talked about this a little bit last week or the week before, but um, Dan Majernik, who's a member of our church, and myself, and a number of coaches in this area, um, played in this basketball game a few weeks ago, which was against the Pittsburgh Steelers. So our team was the old school ballers, and I w- I'm 42. I was not near the, the youngest person or the oldest person on our team. So we were, we were what our name says, the old school ballers. And I'm 5'8", Dan's 5'8", a few others were 5'8", and we might have went up to 6'4", 6'5". Um, and we were told, this is for charity, so that's why we all did it. We wanted to raise money for good causes. Um, but we were also told this is going to be retired Steelers and most likely linemen, heavier guys who probably can't run that well, even though they're professional athletes. So felt pretty good about that. But then, and the way the Steelers do this, they don't tell you who's coming ahead of time. So you have no idea who the athletes actually are. Well, it turns out um, none of them were retired. So they come out of the locker room. And I was like at the end of our bench. And I'm looking at these guys. And I said out loud to the guy beside me, Oh, no, this is not, this is not what you said it was going to be. Uh, and you could, the collective deflating of our entire team just went down. Like, oh, crud. Uh, this is going to be a very long, humbling night. We knew it was going to be a humbling night anyway, but apparently the year before it was more linemen, so it, was, it was, wasn't quite as bad. And then the Steelers, full court pressed us from the, the get-go. So they were stealing balls, they were dunking balls, It was just that. But all that to say, that was our team. We could do nothing about it. We were the old school ballers, and that was who we got. So we looked. We're all looking like, hopefully someone else will show up on our team. But this was our team. So we were committed to do what we had to do because this was our team. Sometimes I think the church can feel that way. We can think that way like, is this real? Are we really the hope of the world? Are we really the mouthpiece for Jesus Christ? Are we really the means by which heaven is going to be filled with men and women from every tongue, tribe, and nation? And the answer is yes. You are part of that. You are to be his witnesses. You are on the team, no matter how daunting the task, no matter how intimidating the opponent's, you're on the team. And, and unlike our basketball team, there was no supernatural component, which I would love if it happened, that something would infuse me and all of a sudden I'm dunking and doing stuff and I wasn't. <laughs> we were just in shock. Um, but for the church, listen to what Jesus said to the disciples. This is in the book of Acts. He said, you will receive power. So this is, after he died, rose from the grave, but was still on earth. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. See, God's Holy Spirit will indwell us and fill us 
so that though we feel weak, though we feel incapable, though we feel sinful at times, He's going to propel us and use us. You are His witnesses. The question is, what kind of witnesses are we? Are we good witnesses or are we poor witnesses? Is there areas to change and clean up? But we don't do it on our own strength. God's Spirit is in you, He's in me, and He's going to strengthen us. We are His witnesses. Who are we? Next one. We are sojourners and exiles. You might not think about yourself this way very much. You're a sojourner and an exile. Look at verse 11. Beloved, I urge you. That word urge is this intense pleading. I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from passions of the flesh which war against you and your soul. I urge you as sojourners and exiles. A sojourner is is one who lives in a place that is not his, his or her true home. They live there, but it's not their home. An exile is very similar, a temporary resident in a world or a place that is not his home. They know it's not their home, so they live like it's not their home. You and I, this is not our permanent residence. This is not our permanent home. And we do well to think that we are exiles and sojourners. Next month, a number of us are going to go to youth camp. And we're all going to move in for four or five days. When I first started doing this, I would take like a little backpack um, 20 years ago. Now I'm I'm a lot more high maintenance than I was then. So I got way more than a backpack. And I'm moving all kinds of stuff into my, my little cabin. But even when I'm in the high maintenance mode and taking all kinds of stuff, got my special snacks, got my, just all my stuff to make my life comfortable, I know that I'm not moving in there permanently. I'm not living at Camp K for the rest of my life. So I realize when I'm setting stuff up, I'm just passing through. I'm there for a few days and I'll be gone. Well, in a, in a similar way, that's how we should be thinking about our life on this earth. That's how we should be thinking about the things of this earth. We're just passing through. We're sojourners and exiles. We are citizens of of a far, far, far better place. Paul said it this way, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. What matters, what really matters is eternity. What really matters is how we live for eternity. Do you remember a month or two ago when Jason Rummel preached and he had that 150-foot rope that he wrapped all through the chairs? And at the end of that rope, he was holding up here, it was about a inch um, area with red tape on. He said, this represents your life here on earth. This is your little window of time. And that long rope that keeps stretching on forever is eternity. See, we want to use our gifts, talents, money, resources, the things we value. We want to invest them with an eternal perspective, 
Not with a temporal perspective. If all you're living for is the things that money can buy and the things, the pleasures of this world, it will never satisfy. It will never, ever, ever satisfy. If you're living for the Lord and finding satisfaction in him, it will always satisfy. Listen to how Jesus said it this way. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So this should be true of our money, of our time, of our talents, of our priorities. The more aware you are of your citizenship in heaven, the more you'll be living for the things that really matter and bring lasting satisfaction. And the last point, I'm just going to hit quickly. Not like Scott said last week, last point. If you were here, <laughs> he did a great job. But we were joking with each other this week. So um, he did not realize, Scott Rising, just a side note, that was the longest sermon he's ever preached in his life. And he, he was completely unaware and he really helped us and blessed us. So last one, we are a holy people. Um, verse 11, but beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. I just want to hit this point. You are a holy people. When Jesus saved you, you instantly became a holy people, meaning you were set apart as God's special people. Positionally, you are a holy people. You are a saint by mere profession of Jesus Christ. You have been declared holy. But we need to live out our holiness. So you have been positionally declared holy, and now you need to live out your holiness. You need to be more like Jesus. And your greatest enemy is not our culture. I don't even think it's Satan himself. The world and its allurements is an enemy. Satan and demons want to destroy us. But if you take those two away, let's say you go to a remote island, no iPhone, no technology, and somehow you hide from Satan and demons, you'll probably sin like crazy because you have the third enemy inside of you, your original sinful nature that wars and rages against your soul. And God in Christ has crucified that old nature, but at times it rears its head. And if you feed the old nature, it grows into a strong monster. If you starve out the old nature, it will lessen and weaken over time. So, Peter tells us to abstain from the passions of the flesh. No matter how powerful they feel, and they feel real, they feel powerful, God's Spirit can give you the power to abstain, to run, to flee, to turn, to renounce. 
And on the positive end, he says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles, among the non-Christian world as honorable. Live for him. The closer you are tethered to this word and to his spirit and to his people in an honest and transparent way, the more you'll be able to walk in freedom. Do not believe the lie that you've so messed up your life that you can no longer walk in freedom as a Christian. That is not true. God's spirit wants to transform and renew you. We are God's people. We are his witnesses. We are sojourners and exiles, and we're to be a holy people. Let's have the band come up. Let's stand and pray, and we're going to sing a final song. Jesus, you are the king, the head, the captain of the church, and we want to follow you. We want to run hard after you. We thank you that we are your chosen people. We thank you that you have chosen us to be your spokespeople for you. We need power. We need help. We need strength. We need courage. We need boldness. Lord, remind us that this world is not all that there is. This is not what we want to live for. We want to live for the kingdom that awaits, the citizenship in heaven. And Lord, we pray that we would walk out the holiness that you have declared us to be, a holy people, and we'll give you all the praise. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.